and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Sally Shearer, who is a registered nurse, she's a child nurse and she's a member of the National Child Safeguarding Practice Review Panel here within the UK. Hello Sally, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Laura, thank you for giving me the opportunity. So we're going to go right back to the beginning of your career. Why did you decide to study nursing? Why did you want to be a nurse? Uh, Well, I once heard Mark Radford uh, speaking at a conference and he said that it takes about five years from somebody to think that they might want to be a nurse to them actually doing something about it. But it took me a lot longer. Uh, So um, I think uh, when I look back to my childhood, my uh, maternal grandmother uh, was very sick and died when I was six and she was nursed at home. I can't really remember a lot about it, but, you know, you don't know what gets implanted in your brain. Yeah, you were there while it was was going on. Yeah. And then my paternal grandma also spent a lot of time in hospital and I spent a lot of time visiting her. Um, So I suppose that's where I got my early idea from. But like many nurses of my age, I would imagine I was influenced by the television programme Angels, uh, which was a drama about student nurses in the 1970s. And uh, the thing that really struck me even at an early age about nursing was it looked hard work and we all know it is really, really hard work. But it seemed to be a really worthwhile and rewarding thing to do. And the other thing um, that really impacted upon me was those student nurses, they were in the class in the day, there was a bit of filming on the wards, you know, it was quite hard, the formality of nursing in those days, uh, how... um, in awe of the ward manager, people were in those days, they were quite frightening, sisters in those days. Um, but no matter what difficult a day one of those nurses had had, in the evening when they were sat in their shared lounge, the camaraderie and the scooping people up and um, looking after people, looking out for people and getting them back up on the feet and ready to do another day. That really struck me. And that is something that throughout my entire 42 year NHS career, um, I think has been a, a really key thing for me because you will have dark and difficult days, but it's that team around you and the support, the immense support that you get from your broader team um, that keeps everybody going. You raised a really good point about the kind of hierarchy, you know, over time and how that's changed, hasn't it? And how kind of always that military aspect of uniform yeah. and addressing and titles and and that's really changed, hasn't it? Um, you know, particularly within the UK. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about abroad. Um, but but how actually that support has still stayed the same and the colleagues and the each other providing support in different situations. Yeah, I think that support has probably got stronger. But, you know, I can remember when I was a nursery nurse, that's where where I entered the NHS. I was a non-registered nurse when I joined in 1980. And my best friend was a staff midwife. Um, And when we were at work, I wasn't allowed to call my best friend by her Christian name, her first name. You know, I I had to call her uh, staff nurse and then her surname. But you think now that would be so bizarre, wouldn't it? Um, 
And at visiting time, I used to uh, make sister a cup of tea and put it on a tray and take it into sister in her office. And she would have her tea in the office. And then I would sit at the nurse's station on my own for an hour and twiddle my thumbs because it was visiting time. So there's only so much tidying up you can do. But yeah, just uh, it's changed massively. And so you started as a, as a nursery nurse um, and non-registered, as you said. Was there a particular reason why you picked that role when you first started? Um, I think I always wanted to work with children. And so I did my nursery nurse training when I left school. Um, and But as I said, I had always wanted to be a nurse. And so when a post was advertised in a special care baby unit working as a nursery nurse, it was like my dream job at the time when I was 18. Uh, and so um, I was absolutely delighted to be appointed. And I, I did that for 13 years. And it it met that need within me to be a nurse at, at the time. And what made you make that step then applying to do your um, to do your registration? Uh, well, there was a, a takeover within the NHS, and there was a document in 1992. Um, I, I was a nursery nurse, but I worked quite clinically in a special care baby unit. Um, and then this document that came out in 1992 said that, you know, you needed to have registered nurses working in these environments. And um, the Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham that took over the unit that I was working in, um, they they no longer had that role. So um, I was offered a job as a nursing auxiliary, but everybody knew that I wanted to be a nurse. And they said to me, Sally, this is your opportunity. You know, you need to go and knock on that door and say, I want to be a registered nurse. And in those days, we were really fortunate. So I was seconded for three years on my uh, nursery nurse salary to go and do my registered nurse training and then knew that I would have a job at the end of it. So, you know, that was an absolute um, golden opportunity. So so it uh, it just all worked out really well. And I was almost 33 when I started my training. And there might be a lot of people listening that similarly have worked in the NHS or hospital, you know, worked in a clinical environment for a really long period of time and are really expert in their particular field, but don't have a registration. Um, and I think, you know, your career really shows how taking that step, taking that leap, taking that opportunity, really, when it when it presented itself um, to you, that then you use those skills going forward into your other I think there's almost a view sometimes if, if you've done a previous non-registered role oh well being registered is completely different it's it's a completely different you know I'm, I'm lacking loads of experience but actually there's so many skills and so much knowledge yeah massive experience because a lot of what support workers do of course is around supporting patients supporting families they very much are at the front line aren't they talking to patients talking to uh, worried mums and dads or uh, worried adult children if it's an adult patient that you're looking after and those skills are entirely transferable and were a really solid foundation on which I then built my career. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it might be lack of confidence that or the putting off of, you know, going to university or going into training yeah. or, you know, am I at the stage of my life where I can where I can do that? But um, but really remembering the foundation, and all of those skills that 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 person has, that it's not as though you're going in 18 with, you know, no previous background or no, mm-hmm. no previous experience. It's a totally different learning experience, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and it can be hard because obviously 
a lot of people in that position have got children and it's not a good time to um, go down on to, uh, you know, to lose your salary and um, need to manage on um, the grants that you get. But um, yeah, it's, it certainly worked very well for me. But as I say, I was really fortunate in that I was seconded. And what when you qualified, did, were you aware from your training where you wanted to go or where you saw your career? Or was that something that evolved over time? Um, well, I always wanted to be a health visitor. And uh, I work quite closely now. I, I've managed health visiting services for the last 10 years. And in my current job, um, I meet regularly with the Institute of Health Visiting. And, uh, you know, my passion uh, is, is still there. But um, so that was my, my game plan. Um, but uh, so I started out uh, as a staff nurse uh, and I worked on three wards um, as a D grade. Um, and then um, when I was an E grade, I actually got a place to do my health visitor training. But the ward manager on the ward where I worked uh, advertised uh, an F grade position at the same time. I think she was, you know, wanting you a bit of timing. <laughs> she wanted to hang on to me. And so, you know, I had to make a decision and I decided um, to stay on the ward and take the F grade position. So it's not a decision that I regret because obviously um, it's taken me down a, a fantastic career. And I get the best of both worlds now because um, I, I do have quite a lot of involvement with health visiting, even though I'm not a health visitor. So I did those um, three wards as a, a staff nurse and then was a junior sister. I then, um, for a couple of years, did a shared practice development and lecturer practitioner role. So that was with the University of Nottingham. Uh, I did two days a week uh, with them and their child branch uh, teaching team, uh, teaching on the child branch part um, of the programme. And then the other three days a week, I worked in the trust and I ran the rotation programme. So that worked really well because, uh, you know, for students, if you didn't like me, it was hard luck because you, <laughs> you were everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was really great because I got to know the students in that final six months um, of their programme and then they qualified and then they came to work in the trust and then I ran the rotation programme. So I already knew them and what their learning needs were and we already had a relationship. And it, so it was a it was a fabulous um, yeah. job. And uh, so supportive to I think that that whole that go between between bridge you know third year I think I'm being doing my final placement and thinking I'm ready to wear my blue uniform I know exactly what I'm doing and you feel a bit confident don't you as a third year you feel like you feel you know more than the you know the first and the second years and we're putting on that uniform and doing those first shifts and going I don't know anything what what was I thinking about about thinking that I knew it all last month when I finished placement so I think having that Jules, you know that role where you're across that last part of the program and then into that because now that preceptorship um area yeah. that's yeah. that's such a good idea for, for the University of Nottingham for the trust to support students yeah it was fabulous um, and then I became the matron at uh, Nottingham Children's Hospital and then I won a leadership award in 2010 
uh, I was runner-up in the National NHS Leadership Academy Awards and I won a £10,000 scholarship, which was amazing. So I spent some of that doing a King's Fund programme. And then I also went to America um, to look at patient safety um, over there, which was amazing. Um, and then I returned back um, and carried on in my matron role for a year. And uh, then I went along to see the chief nurse because I felt, you know, I'd I'd developed quite a lot over this period. And I wanted to know, uh, you know, what was next? What did she have in mind for me? So um, I, I went along and, and asked her what she thought uh, the opportunities were for me. And she told me that her best advice to me was that I needed to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was not what you were expecting. <laughs> Yeah, so I was a little um, affronted. Um, however, uh, you know, she's a very highly respected ex-chief nurse and it's the best advice I've ever been given in my life because I've been in Nottingham for 20 years and yeah, I did. I needed to get out and, uh, and find other opportunities. So I applied for a job which I didn't get, um, but then... A uh, couple of weeks after that, Bart's Health approached me and they were looking to recruit a director of nursing for children and young people. Um, and they needed somebody to fill a gap for three months and asked me if I would go and um, be the interim. So eventually I agreed um, and I needed they advertised the substantive position whilst I was still waiting to go and join them. So I felt that I had to apply because yeah, um, I had to show commitment. So I applied for that post. And even though I only went for three months, I ended up staying two and a half years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that was, you know, working in East London with um, all of the challenges. Uh, that, that I used to work at the Royal London in their tour Did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. We're probably there at the same time, 2013 to 2015. I was at the Royal oh, A little bit later, but yeah, not far off. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I was there for two and a half years and uh, it, it was a, a baptism, baptism of fire. So I moved from a band AA to a band 8D. So that was quite a jump yeah. uh, and a massive learning curve um but also living in the east end of London um, when totally different yeah to, that's yeah. a big move it was it was a big move um <clears throat> and it was personally very very challenging but if I had my time again I would absolutely do it again and what I have found in my career that the jobs that you find really tough um, and that maybe aren't, aren't your favourite parts of your career are the parts that you grow and develop and learn the most from. And that two and a half years is probably the most valuable two and a half years of my career in terms of how I developed and what I learned. It was a real hot house of learning and development. Um, particularly around safeguarding, obviously a lot of safeguarding challenges in East London. Um, and I became exposed to the, the safeguarding boards, um, the multicultural nature of living and working in London um, and the challenges that that all um, throws up 
um, particularly around gangs and knife crime. That was something that I hadn't been particularly exposed to. So in just thinking about the career that I'm in now, uh, that was where um, my safeguarding knowledge and experience came from because it was so challenging that I knew that I needed to really work hard to understand uh, about safeguarding assurance. And, and that's where my base knowledge comes from. Um, and then I was approached by a recruitment firm who were looking for a new chief nurse for Sheffield Children's. And uh, again, that was a fabulous opportunity to uh, become an executive board level nurse uh, and have your, your own patch and your own accountability. Um, it also, Sheffield Children's is a fabulous organisation. It's got the Children's Hospital. It's also got a community CAM service and an inpatient CAMS unit. And I'd never done either of those um, two specialities before. And uh, also the health visiting and school nursing service and, and some therapies. Um, so that was a, a fabulous opportunity. And so I did that for seven years. Uh, all through COVID and everything um, that that brought. And then just as I left last year, uh, obviously the integrated care trusts uh, boards were just getting um, established. So uh, some of the broad strategic response to the reforms um, just before I left. And then I was going to retire, but I was looking for a little part-time job. Just a little um, one, just a little, little bit on the side. <laughs> yeah, just a little job. And uh, I saw this post with the National Child Safeguarding Practice Review Panel um, advertised. And I'd had, we, we had had um, an incident in Sheffield that had been referred to the panel. Uh, so I, I had some background knowledge um, of what they did, but I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll apply and see what happens. That's what I always do when I apply for a new job. I, I put an application in and you know, there's a little bit at the back of your mind that you really, really want it, don't you? But you have I to think be... that's a really good bit of advice. I think particularly when you were talking about going from a matron then to that, you know, to that senior position at Bart's, that sometimes we can almost discount ourselves, can't we? We can say, oh, that's too above me or oh, I'm not suitable or oh, I'm not sure. Or we might look at a post and go, oh, I fancy that, but then not actually make that step to actually applying and I think that applying anyway even if you know you said about applying for a role and not getting it and then something else coming up a few weeks later almost being in that mindset of applying and even I don't know updating your CV or looking at the application forms that's still a really worthwhile process isn't it absolutely yeah put your application in and just see where it goes I mean it is a bit of a risk because when you apply for a job obviously you've got to throw yourself into the application process and do all your preparation and that requires quite a heavy investment of time doesn't it when you're already really busy in your current job so um and, and there is the risk that you're going to invest all of that time and, and miss activities with your friends and family and then not get it. Um, but in my experience, um, it's it's paid off. And the reason that I, I put applications in now and see where they go or did um, is sometimes a job would be advertised and I'd think, oh, what a fabulous job. I'd love that. Um, that I, there's no way that I would get that. I wouldn't get that job. Um, and then you see who gets appointed. And that is sometimes, you know, it can be people who you know and who have got less experience that you have, than you have. Um, and it's a bit like the lottery ticket. If you if you don't buy one, you're not going to win. Okay. Got to be in it to win it. Very yes. good. <laughs> Very good piece of advice. 
And then do you mind just talking a little bit more about the role that you're in now? Yes, yeah, so um, the national panel is, uh, we are multi-professional, so there are 10 of us on the panel and uh, there's a doctor and a nurse and a ex-chief constable and a barrister and an educational psychologist and a social worker. So as you would in any team, that sort of um, mix of um, professions and we were set up in the um legislation from 2017 uh, which wanted a body to oversee serious safeguarding incidents across England. So this is where a child or young person has either died or been seriously harmed and abuse or neglect is suspected. So it isn't, you know, every safeguarding incident that happens in England. It is the serious ones. Um, And local authorities Uh, If that happens in a local area, then the local authority has to send in a notification within five days of it happening. So some of what we do, we meet every two weeks. Some of what we do is we review all of those incidents and we're looking for themes and emerging trends. Uh, But we're also looking at how agencies work together. And and that's the key um, bit of the learning that we are looking for. So when health and the local authority and police and perhaps the probation service or voluntary agencies came together around that family and were supporting them, what, if anything, went wrong, which took that family down a path that had things been done differently, the outcome for that child might have been different. So that is the learning that we're looking for. So as well as reviewing all of those incidents, something else that we do is we look, um, sometimes we do national reviews. So there was a national review last year into the deaths of Arthur Labino Hughes and Star Hobson. Um, There was also a national review into safeguarding children and young people with disabilities and complex health needs who are in residential settings, so children's homes and uh, residential schools. And um, there's, there's about seven national reviews now that are on our website. If you Google Child Safeguarding Practice Review Panel, Uh, the gov.uk website will come up and the fabulous thing about our documents is they're really easily to they're very easy to read so you know they're not complicated Uh, they're very straightforward accessible documents Um, so if you've got an interest in safeguarding I would direct you to that website there's a load of information on there Um, and also you can sign up for our newsletter. Um, And I was going to say, so you've had, you know, really extensive um, experience of safeguarding in a whole variety of areas, you know, all over the UK. I think a lot of people might find, particularly if they're beginning of their career or they're a student, how do you find that emotional aspect of safeguarding cases? How do you manage that as a a nurse? Mm. A big question. It is a big question. Um, I think... um... If you do feel that something is um, bothering you, some a, a particular case that you're dealing with um, on the ward or in the community, 
and you will be um you know working with colleagues obviously if if you haven't even taken it anywhere yet if you've just noticed something it's really important that you escalate that um to either your mentor if you're a student or the ward manager the community manager um and so that it gets put into the um, local authority process so that's that's the first thing make sure that the child is safe and make sure that somebody is doing something about it, that the appropriate safeguarding routes um, and the policy in your area is being followed. So the first thing I would advise any student to do is to read the safeguarding policies when they get to a new placement so that they know what to do. Um, <clears throat> so that's um, the first thing, but just getting back to the emotional um, side, and sometimes things do get to you. I can think of three occasions in my career when, when cases have um, really impacted upon me and it's hard, you, you can't not take them home, can you? Yeah, you go home and you're watching the television or you get into bed and it's like a video playing um, in your head. Um, and it can be quite hard to talk to your family about how you're feeling because obviously you can't breach confidentiality. And I find family wouldn't really understand anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. And I had an, um, I lived with my sister for a while and she's a primary school teacher and it was when I was working in the intensive care um, at the Royal London and we'd come home and, you know, her bad day would be, I don't know, one uh, a kid found the PVA glitter glue and poured the thing over himself. So he was covered in, you know, a litre bottle of blue sparkly gel at 9am in the morning. So like, that's her, don't get me wrong, very stressful absolutely couldn't be a primary school teacher on any level but then I'm then going to go, well how's your day and I'm then explaining you know a young trauma the yeah. family you know a very emotionally heavy day I isn't in a single side room on my own um, and it was and I found that stark comparison and she'd always go oh, I feel really silly now telling me your my story about my day because yours has been so dreadful and it's like well no it's all relative to where you're working isn't it and yeah your day to day but people understanding if, if they're not within that world or even that speciality it can be really difficult can't it yeah and I think the other thing that family don't understand is as a nurse you are engaging at quite a personal level with your patients and their families and although we have professional boundaries and our patients aren't our friends nevertheless you have had quite a deep and meaningful conversation with that family and you ha you have got some you have to have that level of yeah, you engagement have to have that relationship, yeah. um otherwise you might as well have a robot on a ward instead of a nurse uh, and that's the unique thing about being a nurse isn't it that care and compassion and that relationship building and I think sometimes people they don't understand that. They say, oh, it's just a job. So um, I would suggest that you seek, uh, first of all, um, some help from your colleagues. If you've got colleagues uh, who have been involved in the same incident and it's appropriate to do that or talk to your mentor or your ward manager. Um, but if that still isn't addressing it, that you then seek support either through your trust workplace wellbeing service or your student workplace wellbeing service. Um, because if you don't address it, um, it will pop out somewhere further down the line. Yeah, it will. That's very true. Um, so you've been in a number of leadership positions, you know, all throughout your career. What advice have you got for anyone that's currently in a leadership position? Um, I think leadership positions are incredibly hard at the moment aren't they um, and they're hard anyway um, but that 
difficulty is probably magnified by where we are at the moment um, and that it's certainly a lot harder than it was when when I worked on the front line we talked earlier about you know what nursing was like in 1980 but it's much more challenging um, these days so I think as leaders um, you will be developing your vision of where you need to take your service or you know you will have got your key messages from above your principles that you've got to take forward you'll have your own professional um, thoughts about how you need to drive your ser service forward so you will be shaping that vision and it's really important if you're going to take people with you that you get their views as well so I think first of all be collaborative um, <clears throat> and engage all of your team uh, in shaping that vision uh, and then I think the next thing is you need to be really clear with people about what your vision is and and their role in delivering that vision and uh, my team used to say that I wasn't very good at that. Uh, and that was because I didn't like saying, uh, Mary, you need to do this and Jane, you need to do the other. So I used to talk very generally. I'd say, well, what we need to do. Um, but my team used to find that confusing. So I think you, you need to be clear on what work needs to be done and who needs to undertake it. And then uh, obviously you need to track that, track progress and make sure that things keep moving along and that you've got traction. And uh, we all come to work. We've all been appointed to a post, haven't we? And we're all paid to do a job. So uh, we all need to get on with it. Uh, but what we need to remember is people have other things in their lives as well. Uh, they come to work, but they also have a whole host of other stuff going on at home. And uh, I think, therefore, we need to have some care and compassion um, for the people that we're working with, because you're only going to get the best out of people if they feel able um, to be able to share whatever is concerning them and to have some consideration of that and work out a way together how you're still going to be able to do your job whilst managing these other things in your life. So I think you need to be clear, you need to be kind, uh, and you need to be humble. And you need to keep your feet on the ground about what it's really like out there. Um, and I used to, when I was at Sheffield, I did that by, you know, going up onto the wards. And the nurses at Sheffield Children's are very keen to share their opinions of what it's like on the front line. That's uh, so <laughs> what we like to hear. <laughs> So they used to be very open and honest with me, um, but, but that's great. And then, you know, even today in my role at the moment, somebody asked me the other day, well, how do you keep close to the front line, Sally? So I do do some mentorship uh, for some health visitors and also uh, a head of nursing. And that, you know, keeps me very real about what it's like out there. And then <clears throat> in terms of what it's really like for children and their families, on a Monday, I have my grandson and I take him to the village tots group. Uh, and this is way away from Lincolnshire. He lives about 60 miles away. And I go to that tots group and, you know, sitting around that table um, doing painting and gluing. Usually it's the, the mums that sit around the table doing the gluing because the children have gone off to play. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you really get an understanding of the challenges of, of parenting today, you know, particularly with the cost of living and and how people are struggling. Um, and it's hard work bringing up kids. So I would never want to lose that sense of reality. So I, and I think for leaders, don't ever think you're too important to be that far from the front line. 
Mm. I think you've given really good examples because I get asked as a lecturer, you know, how do you maintain your clinical practice? How do you maintain your knowledge? And and I think, and I used to think it was, you know, booking your shift and going and doing this many shifts in this amount of time. And, and then I found that juggle between working full time and doing, you know, a long day on a Saturday, almost impossible at some points to, to keep up. Um, and I think, you know, the examples you've given of really different wide varieties, but how you're still maintaining that knowledge and that context. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be you, someone booking a shift and working in a particular area. You know, we can still develop our knowledge, our competency and our understanding and keep our feet on the ground. Because I understand I would never want to be stood in front of a class and then thinking, well, she's got no idea. Like, that's not, you know, and the reason we're teaching evidence based practice, you know, we want the best practices being taught and they might go, well, that's not being done in my area. And we go, well, this is what the evidence shows. So I know sometimes there's going to be that element of of kind of discussion about people's workplaces. Um but no, I think a wide variety of ways of keeping knowledge and understanding and development um, is really important for anyone, actually, you know, regardless of their role. So thank you. A really good piece of advice. And what advice have you got for any student nurses or newly qualified at the moment? Um, I would say to them that you, you've entered a profession that, as I said earlier, it's hard work. And there'll be days when you think, why on earth am I doing this? Um, it's it's full of all of um, the pressures. It's full on the numbers coming through the door, the expectations of families in a 24-hour society, and they want everything done for them. And they don't always consider other patients on the ward, do they? So it's it's a tough world out there. Um, together with having to work shifts, which isn't particularly pleasant. Um, but what I would advise them is to stick with it because I've had an amazing career. Um, I've been to America and Australia um, during my career, um, paid for through work as, as part of um, what I was doing. So I've just had some most amazing opportunities and some um, met some amazing people. But sometimes some of the benefits that you get from nursing, you wouldn't get in any other profession. And it's the things that cost nothing but are absolutely priceless that will stay with you. And um, one little tiny thing um, that has stayed with me was uh, around the year 2000, I was working on a medical ward and um, this uh, adolescent girl came in and I think she had I can't remember she had either self-harmed or she had been drinking but she came in as as um, young people do and were on the children's ward for a, a period of observation and to be seen by the CAMS team and uh, I didn't think that I'd done anything special you know I'd just done her obs and had a chat with her and taken her a lunch and sat with her and took her some knitting and bits and bobs like that I just thought I was doing my job and about a week later, a card arrived on the ward through the post um, to me. And inside it said, to Sally, uh, thank you for making me realise that life was worth living. Oh. And so in the impact that you are having on families, you know, I didn't think twice about that girl. It was just, yeah, I was just doing, yeah, just part of my day job. Um but then that realisation 
of the impact that you are having. You won't get that in any other job. So um, I would advise you to stick with it. Um, seek the support um, of your colleagues if it's tough. Uh, find a way of that camaraderie that I mentioned earlier of, of working through it um, and stick with it because it's the most amazing career. And I think it's really easy. I, I'm very similar. You, I mean, you get into your role, don't you? And you don't quite realise obviously this is a really abnormal or intense or stressful or pivotal moment in someone's life that you're, that you're looking after. And for us, that's our day to, you know, it's a Tuesday long day and it's 10 a.m. and you're short-staffed and you're planning your millions of other things in your head. And you're right, I think sometimes that, I remember having a patient and he was getting discharged from intensive care and he said, he grabbed my hands and he went, don't ever forget the power in those hands. Mm-hmm. And I just stood there for a second and I was like cleaning something and I thought, I'd never thought of it in that way. I'd never had that kind of, and for me, it was a real like shift moment of we do have so much power and I don't mean power in a power trip way. I mean, the ability to make an impact. Um, And it was, it was having to be told by a patient that, and I stood there and I thought, I've never thought about the part that I would play in there, apart from the care that you give and, you know, wanting to, to do the best and learn and, you know, give the best care that you can. And, And that was a similar shift of, you're right I do I these hands do have power I do have power in this role in this uniform in this in my scope of practice Um, and that's something that we shouldn't ever forget no never underestimate the impact that you're having on other people well thank you so much Sally for sharing some amazing advice for everyone listening I was gonna say what's your plan for your career moving forward but you're allegedly retired um not that you're doing much retiring um Yeah, I, I'm. I, I've I've got a little a little few more years in me yet. Um, and sometimes when I'm on Twitter, I see these fabulous jobs or courses, and I think, oh. And then I just have to remember how old I am and have a word with myself. Um, but yeah, as as I have done in the rest of my career, I'm just going to see where it takes me. Very good lasting note. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. A pleasure.